Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to your show. Here's my mom, Amanda Wacky. It's Amanda Radke back for another episode of the Heart of Rural America podcast, the show where we highlight great people across rural America who are doing things to strengthen their family, their communities, and the agricultural industry that we love. I have two very special guests on the show with me today. In fact, uh, I've been visiting with them for many months now about some issues that they're facing on their family's ranch on the Arizona Strip. And I finally got the chance to meet them in person. Social media makes the world a much smaller place. So that's always exciting. But I was speaking at the Utah Farm Bureau annual convention out in Provo, Utah, and got to meet our guests today. So Chris and Cassie Heaton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us on, Amanda. So I, I guess just to start, it was it was such a pleasure to meet you guys and, and to learn more about your family. Tell the listening audience who you are and, and what you do and your family's history in the, the cattle business. Yeah, so like Amanda said, we're Chris and Cassie Heaton. We're, we live down here in Kanab, Utah. We're in southern Utah. Um, we're right on the Utah-Arizona border, and we ranch in northern Arizona on the land called the Arizona Strip. And that's the strip of land that's north of the Colorado River, the Grand Canyon that runs up to the Utah state line. We have been there for many generations. Um, I'm actually a sixth generation there on the Arizona Strip. My family came with some of the original settlers into the area and organized and put together a, you know, a, a cattle ranch out there. And we've been there for a while. A lot of the land that we ranch on is federally owned now, BLM land. We do lease some state land from the state of Arizona. And then we do have a few thousand acres of private land that we ranch on. We have four kids, two girls, and then a boy, and then a girl. Yeah, so two, one, <laughs> two. Like, wait, you're counting. Two, one, I forgot one. one. Yeah, <laughs> no. two, one, one. Our kids' ages are 10, 8, 4, 6, and you're 2. Great. <laughs> um, so we're, we've got a young family, and they obviously enjoy the ranching and farming life that, that we live. And it's very important to us. Our 10-year-old daughter has been doing all the fall roundups with us this year. You know, it's not uncommon for us to do 20 miles a day on a horse, and she handles it like a champ. It's pretty impressive to watch her handle it. And they're they're seventh generation. They're extremely involved in it, and, and we hope to keep preserving the land for them to be able to enjoy, and hopefully their kids too. So we love it here. It's our home. So just to give us a a general idea of where the Arizona Strip is, can you kind of explain it in relation to the Grand Canyon and then Salt Lake City up, you know, by Provo, where we were at for that meeting? Kind of where are you nestled in there? Yeah, so Provo is 
right about in the in the middle of the state of Utah, maybe a little on the north end of Utah, but about four hours south of Provo, a couple hundred miles is the state line, and we're in Kanab. So Kanab is right in the center of Utah, but on the Utah-Arizona state line. Okay. And then the Arizona Strip is just right below Kanab, and it goes to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's about 70 miles south of us, and then our ranch sits about 30 miles south of us, so about 30 miles into Arizona, and then um, about 40 or so miles from the Grand Canyon. One of the things I think about in the beef cattle industry is I hear people say, you know, we're going to look like the chickens or the hogs in in short time because of the vertical integration that's happening all over in, in agriculture. And yet one thing that I remain confident in is that we're still going to have to convert grass into beef. And the demographic of this nation is is so different, or the geology, I should say, of how I ranch in South Dakota is so much different than what you guys are dealing with. And yet the ability for each individual to take the terrain and the environment that they're working with and upcycle that grass into the most nutrient-dense food on the planet, it's incredible. So I guess I lead up to that asking, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face ranching as far as a water, terrain, drought? What does ranching look like for you guys there? Yeah, that's a great question, Amanda. So we ranch in, in a high desert valley is what it's called. Elevation-wise, we run anywhere from just over 4,000 feet above sea level to about 6,500 feet. So we're not a super high, but we're, we're that high desert valley. We have a lot of grasslands. We have some sagebrush, some cactus, and for the most part, we run in pretty flat country, but we do have a lot of canyons. You know, we're on the north edge of the Grand Canyon. So we have Kanab Creek that comes down through Kanab where we live and ties into the Grand Canyon. And, and there's some other tributaries of the Grand Canyon. So we're in some pretty rough and rocky, cliffy country. We have a lot of, of big game, a lot of mule deer, a lot of antelope, uh, a lot of bighorn sheep. And then obviously our predators are, you know, uh, the coyotes and, and the mountain lions and bobcats. I think another thing too, that is maybe unique to some people, but there's no live water on Arizona Strip. So it's all comes through monsoon rain and I think that poses its own risks and problems in and of itself. But that's something that we, you know, deal with and pay really close attention to. We don't have that live. I guess we have some springs, yeah, but we, not like running. We don't have rivers and streams and creeks. Right, yeah. And back in South Dakota, where you are, Amanda, you guys probably run so many cows per acre. Out in our country, it's so many acres per cow. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. So we, you know, we're pretty spread out in that desert country. We we ranch on just under fifty thousand acres, um, and that gets our herd to just under three hundred head of cattle. Okay. Um, so Very just for fast. perspective, yeah. So <laughs> when we do twenty miles, you know, in a day on a horse, we do twenty miles a day on a horse because <laughs> it takes that long to, to find everything. Yeah. Explain the go back to the live water because I have many listeners on the East Coast that this is like a brand new term. So what does the management look like for you guys? Are you capturing the water and then hauling it? Like what and that's probably super naive. So I don't know. You tell me, what does that look like? Yeah, so we have we have thirty-three stock ponds, and these are earth-built ponds that are fed by drainage ditches and washes. Okay. So when we get our heavy monsoons in, in the summer. They collect the water into these washes and then fill these dirt ponds. So, 
you know, every few years we go in and we clean out the mud because we get a lot of sediment that runs into these ponds. We remove the mud so that we can hold, the, you know, the, as much water as we can. Um, we have six wells that we've drilled. These wells are on private and federal and state land. Um, they're a mix. So we go through that permitting process. We get the water rights for those and we drill those wells. Our wells are in shallow aquifers, in the, mainly in the bottom of washes, um, it, but they don't pump a lot. You know, we're very happy with two gallons a minute. We okay. will take two gallons a minute all day. That's good water. Um, and then we have a few springs that we've developed. And lately we've been building these water catchments. We've been working with uh, the NRCS to build these water catchments. These water catchments are big black aprons. They're a tarp that we lay out over several hundred square feet. And then when it rains, it hits this tarp and then funnels down into a big tank, a hundred thousand gallon storage tank. And then we float off of it to tire troughs. And we've been doing, we've done about five of these in the last few years to help spread our cows out where areas that we don't necessarily have those dirt ponds. There's a lot of distinct differences, I suppose, between how we ranch up here in South Dakota and you guys, but probably the biggest one would be we're grazing on 100% privately owned land. So in many regards, we have a lot more control about land management and how we can graze and all of those things. And I imagine just looking at your guys' history, surviving and thriving and, and keeping a business together through six, seven generations. And that means many administration swings along the way and trying to be in alignment with all the state and federal regulations. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by my dear friends at CK6 Consulting, a cattle business consulting service with a purebred Angus focus. I recently joined the CK6 crew, and I would love to connect with you at an upcoming sale. Check out the sale calendar at ck6consulting.com to learn more about opportunities to invest in elite Angus genetics coming from our progressive and innovative clients who truly exemplify what it means to be the heart of rural America. And for all your semen needs, visit ck6source.com an online stud service that features some of our clients' top-performing bulls. Give Chris Earle, Wes Teeman, Cody Fleeman, or myself a call with any questions or business inquiries you may have. CK6 is all about families helping families, and I'm so proud and grateful to be a part of it. Now let's get back to the show. Before we get to the current challenge you face, how has WOTUS impacted your guys' ability to operate as you see fit? Uh, it makes it difficult for sure. Yeah. The thing that's so unique with running on federal land, and specifically with us and other ranchers, is so we've been here since the late 1800s. Mm -hmm. The BLM didn't exist until 19, I think 1946. So my family's been running on this land for 50 years before the federal government even had any say or control or management plan for us. And, and we did a pretty dang good job of it um, because it was our business. And if we overgrazed or, or didn't utilize the water, then we would put ourselves out of business and we didn't do that. So then when the BLM got involved in 1946, we continued to work with them and we've had a pretty good working relationship with, with the BLM. Uh, for years, my grandfather had a great relationship with his range cons that he worked with. Uh, my father did. 
And I think that we do too. The local BLM, uh, the office that we deal with is based out of St. George, Utah, and they're great. They're hands on the ground. They meet us out there. They look at the problems, the concerns we have. They help us with the approvals of these new catchments that we're doing. And they've been pretty good to work with. The concern is on the, on the you know, those that are in D.C. Or, or in a regional office somewhere, they don't see the ground. They don't know what, they're, what we're doing. They frankly don't care, I believe. They right. don't look at what we're doing. They don't see the improvements that we've done. With, with regards back to the water a little bit, uh, with regards to the water that we have, there's a lot of wildlife. I mentioned the wildlife. There's a ton of wildlife. Mm-hmm. Some of the big mule deer that's hunted in the state of Arizona come in and around our area. 13A, 13B, some of these units, there's some record uh, bucks that come off of those. And they are watered by ranchers. If we weren't there maintaining water and improving, there wouldn't be those record mule deer. There wouldn't, wouldn't be that population, that hunting industry that is so important to our region and the state of Arizona. There seems to be a misconception. You know, if I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt that are on the environmental side of things and want to talk about conservation, I think there's good intentions there. But there is a huge misconception that leaving nature untouched is the best way to keep a pristine landscape. Whereas those of us that are involved in agriculture and mining and logging and all those things understand that responsible land management reduces the spread of wildfires and promotes new growth. And much of the land where you're living on where cattle are grazing would be barren desert if ruminant animals weren't on there grazing. And and then add in that it's protecting wildlife habitat. And I could go on and on. And well, I, I looked it up while we were visiting. It was because we had talked about in Utah, I was like, who created the BLM? And it was President Truman in 1946. And in 2021, they celebrated 75 years. And today the BLM manages about 245 million acres of public landscapes for all Americans. And uh, as I feel like I say this all the time now, but elections have consequences. And we currently have a president who, through his 30 by 30 plan, wants to put 30% more land in the federal government's control, which is expanding public ground through private partnerships, private public partnerships, putting 30% more private land in control of the federal government. And to me, I don't know if we evaluate much of what the government does today. I don't think they're very efficient or very good at much. And so it's, it's actually terrifying to see so much land being in the control of American citizens. And so I guess that leads me to what you're facing now under the current administration. Tell us what's going on with the ranch in regards to your access to some public ground. Early this spring, it was like March or April, we we get a rumor, we hear a rumor that the Biden administration is looking at creating a new national monument. And, and that would cover a portion of our ranch. And we're familiar, we're very familiar in our area with national monuments. Mm -hmm. Living in Kanab, we have the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument that's on our north and our east. It's 1.8 million acres that President Clinton designated a monument uh, 20 years or so ago. Um, We are familiar with the Bears Ears National Monument that President Obama did over in the Four Corners area of the state of Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado. And, you know, I can't remember exactly 1.3 million acres, I want to say. And then they're looking at this one. 
And so we hear about this, and this is the Grand Canyon National Monument, and it, it's got a, a different name, but that's the gist of it. And with that monument, there the proposed route at first was about 1.2, 1.3 million acres. And it's from the Grand Canyon National Park to the Utah state line, essentially. And then it was, there's the Kaibab National Forest that runs through it. So it was going to be on the east and west side, clear over to Lee's Ferry. And then it was going to be on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, just south of the National uh, Park, down towards the Flagstaff area. So that's the proposed route that they started with. That's ultimately what they finished with, but they did, you know, chop it up a little bit. So we hear rumor about that. We heard rumor about it with Obama and then it fizzled out. Mm -hmm. um, so we weren't that confident that something was coming. Rumors come and go. But then that was in like April-ish. Our daughters had a little trip down to Disneyland. They went and danced down to Disneyland with their dance groups. So we were heading down to Disneyland the first part of July. And I got a call from a friend and said, have you seen about this meeting that they're holding in Flagstaff on the monument that's going to be on your ranch? And I hadn't heard anything of it. I hurry up, got off the phone. I called the BLM office that I work with out of St. George, asked them about it. They didn't know about it, the guys that I spoke with. So we were just shocked, devastated. This is, you know, Thursday, Friday. And this meeting was to be held the next Tuesday in Flagstaff. Flagstaff's three and a half, four hours away from us. So we did, did a little bit more digging. We found out about this meeting. We went down to Flagstaff and they had a public meeting there to discuss the monument. There was only about 10 or so of us ranchers that were able to make it uh, because it was pretty last minute. But they had the room filled with a bunch of others that were in support of this monument. They had plenty of notice and they were there and they had this public hearing when, when we got up and expressed our concerns with the monument, at that time, that monument's boundaries was including over a thousand acres of our private ground, let alone, uh, you know, our rights that we have on for grazing on the federal land and our water rights that are on federal land, but our private property. So we were pretty frustrated and upset. That's the first time we saw the map. Tell me what, what the implications would be if your private land was included as a part of this monument. How does that change your land? We didn't know. And I was asking them, I said, what does this mean when you're taking private ground into a federal monument? Like, is this an eminent domain? Is this a taking? What are you doing? Right. And they couldn't answer anything. They they had no clue. And I was I was a little frustrated, as you can imagine. Yep. And so at my public hearing, they allowed me two minutes to speak. And they're looking at taking a thousand plus acres of my private ground plus all the federal land that we lease and they gave me two minutes to talk and while i spoke the audience booed me wow two and minutes let's just reiterate two minutes to defend seven generations of work yeah private land yeah. And, the mob, and the mob boos you and they booed me and, and expletives and uh, you name it and they were extremely disrespected and on the flip side, when other people were, you know, sharing support of the monument, the ranchers that were there were extremely respectful, never booed, never heckled, never said anything, but the respect was not both ways by any means. It was sad. And I felt bad for the moderator. I really do. It was not her fault. Uh, she was trying to control a mob, um, yep. for lack of a better word. Um, but it was a pretty accurate word, I think, too. The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meets by Lynn's. 
founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop and growing to an international supplier of high-quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Linz is a four-generation family-owned business. The Linz Heritage Angus Program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product, a focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle allows Fred Linz and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at linzheritageangus.com and shop for beef at shoplinz.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Landing Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. Just before we dive into this, I want to give a little context for people that don't understand how these monuments work, because I think this is a very foreign concept if you're not living in like near Yellowstone or Devil's Tower or wherever. Um, so I, I looked it up while you were talking there. But uh, so the National Park System was created by probably one of my favorite presidents, Teddy Roosevelt. I've got his speech, Daring Greatly, on my office wall. And I loved him because he busted up monopolies. We could really use that for the 85% control of our beef supply right now that we see. Like, I would love to see that. But on the flip side, he was the president that created the Antiquities Act in 1906 that allowed for presidents to proclaim lands or waters under federal jurisdiction as national monuments. He created like Devil's Tower National Monument in Wyoming. And I looked it up. There's a total of 17 presidents representing both political parties that have used the Antiquities Act to create nearly 160 national monuments. And fun fact, the presidents who have used this Antiquities Act the most and by the way, again, I think it started with good intentions and now has been weaponized and hijacked to control more and more land. No surprise here, President Barack Obama created 29 monuments. He's number one, followed by Bill Clinton. He created 19 more monuments. Theodore Roosevelt created 18. Uh, Jimmy Carter, 15. Calvin Coolidge, 13. Woodrow Wilson and Franklin D. Roosevelt created uh, about a dozen and then that would be your top 10 would be rounding out with William Howard Taft and Herbert Hoover. But it's just interesting to see that, you know, there's only so much land in this country. And yet two of our most recent presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, 
were creating massive swaths of land that would go into these distinctions. So I think maybe think about that as we're moving forward, if you're listening to this and trying to understand kind of how the dynamics have changed with these monuments. So now you have an administration that's like, we're going to do this wide sweeping designation and let's go back to where that puts you guys in this discussion. Yeah. And, and, you know, down in Flagstaff, they had a, a, one of the big pushes for this Grand Canyon National Monument is to protect um, Native American uh, sites, Mm -hmm. uh, their ancestral lands. And I, I don't have a problem with protection of, of Native American sites. Um, We have several sites on our ranch that we know about and no one else because it's pretty remote, rugged country. And sure. So I've taken there's my no wife signs on the interstate directing you to off-road yeah. and go see it. The, there's nothing's posted on Instagram. It's not Insta-famous, uh, yep. so it's not geotagged. And and we keep it. Uh, we're we're very careful around it. Our kids are very respectful of the land with the artifacts, with the things we find. We are extremely respectful. We we don't put it out there to the world. We feel that we are doing it justice by by keeping it their sacred lands and not defiling it in any way. And and we're really careful about that. And so that's their big push to protect that. And I think that that's a good thing. I, I really do. I, I'm okay with preserving yep. uh, history, really. But there's there's a flip side to it. When uh, President Obama created that Bears Ears National Monument over in the Four Corners area, he then put a lot of these sites unintentionally on the map mm-hmm. because sure. everyone said, hey, there's this new national monument. Let's go see it. Sure. Family vacation, COVID's hit. We're not traveling far. Let's drive over to Bears Ears. Then you put hundreds and thousands of people onto these big open areas, you know, 1.3 million acres with all these two track roads going to these different sites. And there was nowhere to protect and preserve they had one or two law enforcement officers covering the whole area. They graffitied. Lots of sites were damaged. They were graffitied. Uh, they were ruined. Human waste was a huge problem because wow. they didn't have toilets. They didn't have restrooms set up for this big flux of people. And so to me, when they say they're creating these monuments to protect and preserve, I think they're doing the 100% opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and that causes great alarm to me for this, this new monument. We're in a really rough remote area. Cass and I interviewed with Fox News right after the monument was created. And coming out, we helped some foreigners from Europe change their tire because they had never changed a tire before. And they're 30 miles from a pavement and in a rental car. And they were scared to death. And it was in July. Like it could have been very bad. So we're gonna we're gonna open the door to this kind of stuff and it's gonna create a strain on our, our local communities. So, anyways. That, that's one of their big things. So they had this meeting in Flagstaff. It was, it was a nightmare, to say the least. And then a few weeks later, we hear that President Biden's coming to northern Arizona on a trip. And so we know. We know it's coming. Yeah. We hear of the state of Arizona had two House committees and one Senate committee hold a, a last-minute meeting in Kingman, Arizona, which is in Mojave County. So in Arizona, the two counties that this monument effects are Coconino, which is Flagstaff is the county seat, and Mojave County. And our ranch is in Mojave County, but the capital seat is Kingman, which is down by, you go to Las Vegas and then Henderson and, and go straight east and, and you get over, or, yeah, and then you get over to Kingman. So they hold this hearing. We ran down to Kingman. We testified at that those hearings on the concerns we have. At that time, they had came out with another map for the monument. 
this map still included our private ground, even after we met in Flagstaff and showed them our concerns. This wow. second map still included it. So that meeting, not not to get too political, but I was very, very disheartened with uh, Arizona. Not one Democrat on those three committees showed up and they took it political. And I don't think this is political. I think when when Americans have private property and private water rights on the line, I think every party should be outraged that the federal government is going and trying to take these rights and this property, personal property from individuals, Americans. Mm-hmm. But it, they drew a line politically and not one Democrat showed up. All the Republicans were there. They had the hearing and they were they were very distraught from our testimony and from other ranchers' testimonies of what was really taking place. Mm-hmm. And they were concerned. They passed some resolutions in opposition to the monuments or into the, uh, to that monument. Um, but obviously the federal government didn't listen. The next morning, our president created the monument. Last minute, they did pull out some of our private ground, which was pretty impressive. We worked with a, a lady with the Department of Interior a little bit, emailed back and forth, and, and she was a champion of helping us remove some of our private ground from it. With that being said, some of the private was removed, but they still have not addressed our water rights. In the creation of the monument, they didn't address them. We have private water rights held on federal land, and those mean some. We have proofs of those clear back to the late 1800s. So anyways, the monument was created, and now we're in this waiting period. We don't know how it will affect us. We have no clue. There's no management plan in place. They're not talking to us. We, we can't get any answers. We don't know what's going on. It was created in August, first part of August, and we've heard nothing. And that's concerning. We have projects in the works to do improvements on federal land um, to build some of these water catchments, these aprons to store and collect water. And we don't know if, we don't know where we stand. It's just in this funny limbo and and there's no plan in place. The concern we have too right now on uh, the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, which is just, you know, outside of Kanab here, the federal government has got a new plan proposed, a management plan that is on the table right now. It just finished a public comment period, and now they're, they're going to decide on what to do. And in that plan, they're proposing reducing 12,000 animal monthly units with AUMs, animal units per month. And, and what that'll do, that's about 2,000 cows that they're going to pull off of that monument, essentially. Wow. And there's about 600,000, 700,000 acres that they're going to say no more doing any improvements on this monument. So no more doing um, treatments for um, cedar trees and juniper trees. No more reseeding the ground. No more water improvements. And so our concern is, is with this national monument on, on our ranch, on the Grand Canyon National Monument, is what they're going to do is they're going to get us death by a thousand cuts yeah. where they're going to come in and say, okay. And, and they promised when they create, when Bill Clinton created that grand staircase, he said, we're not going to reduce grazing. We're not going to touch it. Now, 20 years later on the table, they're reducing it. There, there's about 68,000 AUMs on the grand staircase and their proposals to cut 12,000. That's a big reduction. And they said they'd never do that and they've got support, they're probably going to do it. And it's just, it's just, it's crazy when it doesn't affect them at all. And it doesn't hurt them at all. And it hurts us tremendously. I I feel like 
And some of these things that we're seeing are, these are our friends and families that are in the same situation as us. They, their family has been on this land since the early settlers and, and that we're fearful for that, for our kids, for the next generation coming up and, and the one after. And I think part of our, a big part of our frustration right now is that the communication has been little to none. And this is a big part of our livelihood. It's not only our way of life, but it is our livelihood. It's it's one way we feed our family mm-hmm. and it's our business. We we pour everything into it, yet we're not being communicated with. We still don't quite know what the future holds for us and our ranch and our land and what other business in America is being so overly regulated. And then on top of that, there's no communication on how this will affect us and, and our livelihood. And I, I don't know what more to say other than that. And it doesn't feel good to feel when your hands are tied with your own private business and no communication. We just know that we're at the mercy of the federal government and it's not great. Do you think, like, will you be able to run out the clock a little bit with, we all know we're going into an election year. If administrations change, does this all go away or is this kind of led by the bureaucrats in these federal agencies that nobody elected, but they get to run terror and do what they want for 30, 40 plus years. There's some of that for sure. When President Trump was in in office, he did reduce the Grand Staircase Monument. Um, He did reduce the Bears Ears Monument. Mm -hmm. But President Biden put him back. So we're doing this seesaw back and forth, and it's just a nightmare. And that's why this this plan, this management plan is getting addressed again, because after it was put back by Biden, they said, let's look at the plan again. And so they're looking at the plan again. And so if we keep doing this every election cycle, it's just going to be even that much worse. You know, I supported the reduction for sure. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that Antiquities Act that you mentioned, it talks about the least amount of area possible Mm -hmm. that the federal government needs. 1.3, 1.8, just under a million acres is not the least amount. It's a whole chunk. Yeah, like if we want to protect some of these Native American sites, they're not on 1.3, 1.8. They're not everywhere out there. There was only water in certain areas at certain times a year. Those Native Americans didn't live in these vast grasslands that had no water. They were in some of the canyons in the winter when there was some rain and some snow. Other than that, they weren't there. Mm -hmm. They moved, they came and left. Right. So we've got about four minutes left before we have to wrap, but what have you learned by speaking out by this? What advice would you have for people? You've been on Fox Business. You've been on NPR. You've been on a lot of big stations telling your story. What advice would you have for people on sticking your neck out and speaking out? And and what would you ask other producers to do to get involved in the fight? Um, That's a great question. I I think the key is, is to be willing to speak out. Um, a lot of times, ranchers, we just want to do our thing and go to bed and wake up and take care of our animals and our families. Yeah. We just want to live our life and let people leave us alone and just feed America. But when we're pushed into these corners, the worst thing we can do is not fight back and not push back and not tell our story. We have to tell our story. We have to stick our neck out, as you put it. I have I, one thing, the main thing I think that we've learned is even though how horrific that meeting was in Flagstaff and how frustrated and hot I was, good did come out of it. Um, Because we pushed back in Flagstaff and in Kingman and told our story, they reduced the monument 
we can't take all the credit. I know Utah Farm Bureau, American Farm Bureau, Arizona Farm Bureau, and other ranchers did as well. Mm -hmm. But I, I have a lot of friends and family that were just like, why even try? Why mm -hmm. fight? They're going to do what they do. Yeah. But I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I think you have to fight. I knew that if I didn't fight, I couldn't sleep at night. Right. Um, because I would just roll over and say, yep, yeah, make the monument. We'll just go away. Everyone can be happy. But I couldn't do that. Not for my wife and not for my children. Right. So I think it's important to push back. I think the key is with all of this, with all the farmers and ranchers, whether we ranch on, on private ground or on, on lease ground, whether it's privately leased or on state leases or federal leases, um, we're all in this together. Um, what happens here affects everybody. Um, you, you remove 12,000 AUMs off of a monument. That 2,000 head of cows isn't a big deal, maybe in South Dakota or Oklahoma or Kansas. But out here in this country, that's a big deal. You, you take 2,000 calves out of a market on a given year, that really affects our market out here. Um, so it is a big deal. And at the end of the day, those 2,000 cows belong to 30 different families or whatever. And that affects them individually and personally. It affects their private business. It, it affects how they take care of their, their family and how they can live in the community that they live in and raise their families the way they want to raise their families. Mm -hmm. It changes all of that. Yeah, I, I don't know anything. And, and I think um, speaking out for sure, but also in the right way, I think it's easy to get let emotions get the best of you and want to, you know, but I think speaking out, being firm in what you believe in, don't roll over, but also doing it, taking the high road and in the right way. Well, in the last two minutes here, you guys just totally captured what this podcast is all about, because I, I truly believe it comes down to protecting the individual families who are raising their kids on the land and being stewards of the natural resources and and raising the next generation that are going to lead this country and in our efforts to be more efficient and as corporate cronyism just takes over this country, seems like the little guy and the family just gets swept to the wayside that they don't matter. But for us to have a truly secure food supply, we need a robust and diverse food system. And that means keeping as many families on the land as possible, doing what they do best. So thank you guys for the time today. And, and it was such a treat to meet you in person finally. And I just want to encourage you guys to stay in the fight. And God bless you both. Thank you so much, Amanda. Appreciate you. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you found value in the message, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe and share to help spread the word. Until next time we meet on the dusty trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is The Heart of Rural America.